Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Pardon Will Podcast. I'm your host, David Lilly, and today I have a special guest. He is multifaceted and extremely interesting. He also knows a ton about stuff that I don't know, and I'm excited to have a chat with him. His name is Dylan Marshall. Dylan, um, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I feel like, uh, I, I don't know if I can live up to uh, the whole idea that I know more than you, but uh, I oh, guess I dude. can do my best. Oh my God, this is this is fish in a barrel for you. Um, I'm straight up going to be honest but it'll be um it'll be definitely a good conversation so i uh purposely didn't give you an intro of being like all mm-hmm. about who you are because i think you know a little bit about more what you do than i do so why don't you tell everyone listening um what is it that you do yeah so i currently work for an international ngo uh, which means a non-governmental organization in Washington, D.C., it's called Amidist. Uh, we focus on education and development initiatives in the Middle East and North Africa. Um, what, an, what a non-governmental organization is, it's usually a nonprofit, uh, but we work alongside uh, governments, both domestic and abroad. And um, we focus on sort of, you know, anything from humanitarian issues, globalization, social sciences. So it's very community-based. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, very cool. So you guys are like a, a contractor for the government. Am I hearing that right? Or am I wrong on that? Yeah, I, you know, the, the government does contracts. Um, you know, we carry out certain certain tasks, certain initiatives, uh, you know, for my organization in particular, it, it has to do with education. Um, but right. the government does, you know, a lot of contracts with defense agencies, Department of State. So um, we, you know, work primarily with with the State Department, but uh, USAID as well as, well as another uh, big government partner of ours. Oh, really? Oh, very nice. Um, yeah. So when you, I mean, I hate to, uh, we just started this off and I was like, you know, I don't know a little bit. I need a little bit. I need <laughs> to know a little bit more about you. So this is going to be a weird question, man. Um, starting off, uh, how old are you? I'm, I'm 22 years old. I just, uh, I just graduated from college in 2020. So I graduated in the pandemic year. Wow. Um, okay. Didn't have a graduation, didn't have, you know, any of the special sort of, um, you know, uh, circumstances that a, a senior graduating from college would have. But uh, I threw myself right into the workforce and uh, I was heavily involved on campus and things like that. So it wasn't too much of a tough transition. But um, yeah, 22 and uh, my birthday's in november so i am going on 23 i'm about you know halfway into this but uh starting off young and just trying to get involved early and learn as much as i can dude that's awesome um i hate to derail this because you just went on like this is what i do for a living and uh (laughs) i'm way more interested in um a totally different subject um on this dude so and i i i'm i'm 36 now and uh, Mm -hmm. i talk to the guys i work with and people i'm involved in conversations i have on the podcast as well um, about people in their direction in their life and um, when they find out because a lot of times I interview artists and musicians and I always ask them like when did you realize you were an artist and when did you kind of move into that space and when did you take it seriously and so it sounds like you're 22 and you've I've, I mean I've definitely scoped out your Instagram I kind of know a little bit about you um, it seems mm-hmm. like you've traveled the world you're very um, eclectic in the things that you move in um, very much a global person um, and, and I mean, I'm not picking on you by any means, but you are definitely young, which tells me <laughs> that you've, you had to have had an idea. And this is, this is really more, where my question comes down that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. You had to have an idea of what you wanted to do when you grew up early on. See, I'm 36 and I still wonder what I want to be when I grow up. Um, 
and uh, I might be a little late on the boat. But you, when did that start for you? When were you like, this is what I want to do? You know, if you would have asked me in middle school, I would have told you that um, my dream job was to be a wide receiver in the NFL. Oh, for real? So being <laughs> being 5'11", but, uh, you know, I like to say six foot, just round it up. Might um, as well. Being 5'11", there was no way I was going to be a professional athlete. Yeah. So I played sports in, in high school. Um, I was involved. I was, I was a three-sport athlete, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer. Um, and, you know, I really enjoyed it. But um, – I think what really got me interested into politics or government the most was a program through uh, my county legislature through the Youth Bureau called Youth in Government. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, so my involvement with this is, and I guess the premise, just to break it down, is you participate in this. It's like a six-week, eight-week program. Um, you get exposed to all facets of, of government, everything from public safety to the court system to like mental health initiatives. And at the end, you have to present a resolution to the county legislature. So the interesting thing for me was, you know, all of my peers, you know, we're having conversations like offline about what are we going to do? How are we going to present this resolution? And this wasn't it wasn't even just like a you know yeah. normal resolution, like a, a fun, you know, sort of draft that you just crumple up and throw in the garbage after you're done, yeah. you actually have to present it to the county legislature. Oh, so wow. for me, I was like, I'm actually going to you know, put in time and effort and energy into this resolution because I wanted to do well. And the fun, the cool thing about this uh, program was that if the legislature approved of your resolution, they actually voted on it and then it would become an actual law. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Dude. So, and, and, you know, I was 16, 17 years old. So at the same time, you know, I'm, you know, walking around in, in high school and I'm trying to, you know, every single day, wake up in the morning and put on the best outfit to impress girls. Right. But at the same time, I'm drafting like legislation for the County. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. So, you know, the program finishes up, we go through all the different, um, you know, seminars and things like that. And my resolution that I drafted was to implement I think I can't even remember the number. I think it was a 99 cent surcharge. I think it was 99 cents, but a surcharge on prepaid cell phones and then take the money that's taxed from that and put it into the 911 emergency services communication systems. Oh, very nice. So investing in technology for dispatchers and things like that. Oh, wow. So I drafted this up and I presented it in front of the legislature. I was 17 years old and, uh, it passed unanimously. So now if you're in Steuben County in New York, uh, you go to buy a prepaid cell phone, you have to now pay a tax that goes to the emergency services technology system thanks to the law that I proposed that was passed. So that was my That's first nuts. initial wow. you know, involvement in, in government. Was that like the, the spark that lit the fire that you were like, I, I can do something like I'm, totally. I, I'm participating. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you went um, from there. How did, so you, so that was just like it. You were like, I'm, I am motivated. I can make a difference. And so I want to move for like forward towards that. Is that how that went? Yeah. I mean, I guess it gave me the confidence to, to go to college. Um, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do, but, um, I ran into, we, you know how like in college you've got those like introductory sort of before you enroll or matriculate to yeah. a university, you have to go through like a bunch of um, workshops. Yeah, yeah. So I remember there's one workshop on study abroad 
And uh, I found it super fascinating. I mean, it was being so young, never having left the country. My parents didn't travel. Um, it was one of those things that sort of sparked my interest. I don't know about you, but I grew up watching Anthony Bourdain. Oh, I uh, yeah. you know, parts parts unknown yeah. and, you know, no reservations. So I was super interested in, you know, that whole, you know, global sort of perspective. Uh, but at the same time, this uh, the, the woman who gave the presentation at the university, she also introduced me to uh, the director of student life. And I went to Finger Lakes Community College in the Finger Lakes region in New York. Okay. Um, so she introduced me to this director and she said, you should get involved in student government. Um which to me was just like student government, you know, playing sports in high school and everything, you hear about student government and you think it's just a bunch of people who, um, you know, are more, more condescending and, and narcissistic <laughs> yeah. and think yeah. that they can actually do, you know, like be involved in, in, in stuff and make a change, but you know, they're just students. Yeah. So I kind of looked at her and I was like, yeah, whatever. But uh, I took her up on the offer. And so I got involved in the student Senate. So my role was essentially to, oversee, you know, clubs, organizations on campus. Um, but because I had relationships with, you know, athletes and also like people in like theater club, I've, you know, being like a very extroverted on a extroverted person on a college campus really does a number. Um, so, you know, I knew everybody on campus and I was able to talk and build relationships and things like that. So I ended up running for vice president of, of the student body and I was elected. So that was on my campus. Um, and I was introduced to then statewide advocacy with uh, SUNY SA, the State University of New York Student Assembly. So I sat on the executive committee, um, which represented 1.4 million students throughout oh, wow. the State University of New York public system. Yeah, it's yeah. the largest comprehensive student-ran organization in the United States of America. Very cool. So, did, so I mean, yeah, yeah. Continue. I'm sorry. So we, you know, having communication with uh, state and local, you know, elected officials, campus leaders, you know, bi-weekly meetings with um, people in the community, I just, I continue to go down the path of self-advocacy, um, advocacy in general and, and governments. And I think that it just, it sort of ignited a flame in my approach to what I wanted to do for a career. And uh, that led me into a bigger and broader career, which is, you know, within globalization, internationalization and international relations. Yeah, man, I am, um, oh, man, I'm having a hard time like weeding through this because I have a ton of questions. And so I'm trying to pick them. Um, I'm trying to pick them precisely. Um, it's it's also somewhat daunting for me because when I was um, in high school, I had uh, none of that ambition and uh, had none of that. Um, didn't even look for the opportunity. The opportunity probably came, mm -hmm. and I just, you know, no, I'm good. I'll be in a punk band. And so we have way <laughs> different, um, stark difference um, when it comes to when I was in school, in high school, and how I grew up. Matter of fact, when I went to college, I, um, in a little bit of a contrast, I went to uh, I went to college for anthropology because I wasn't concerned about how people govern themselves. I was more concerned about how people govern themselves, like. Uh, 4,000 years ago. And so I was sure. way more into that. But but it also revolves around the, um, the sociology of people. I, I personally, I mean, the reason I have a podcast is because I'm interested in how what makes people tick, like why, mm -hmm. why, why they make the decisions they make, what what's going on behind their 
their eyes you know what's moving what what gears are moving in that and um for you it definitely seemed pointy it seemed like um which is strange i don't know if you know this man but uh it's very strange to find someone who's adolescent like in high school um who knows who finds something their niche like their niche is like spot on and they're like yep this is what i want to do and uh oh this person came in and uh i did it um you're very lucky um do you think hold on do you think that has something to do with your back? What's your background before that? Were your um, your parents very precise? Were you adopted? Do you, what's what's going on behind that? Yeah, I mean, I I like to say that I give all the credit to my family. Um, my mom, my dad, they're both public servants. My dad served in okay, yeah. uh, the you know he was the director of emergency services for the county for so long, so he oh, overseed wow. all emergency operations. Um, he just recently got appointed to be the director of public safety. So uh, dad, if you're listening, shout out to you, um, you know, but just, you know, sure. coming from that background of, of people who were invested in the community, wanting to make a difference. You know, my mom was a social worker. She worked in the education space. She worked with students. Um, and, you know, growing up, I think a lot of my childhood <laughs> was first responders. Um, oh, wow. Okay. My dad used to be a volunteer firefighter and, you know, being surrounded by firefighters and, and, and paramedics and emergency um, service providers, I think it really allowed me to understand what it means to be a public servant, what it means to work with people and, um, you know, understand like you've got, you know, on a global level, you've got 8 billion people in the world. Um, in the United States of America, you've got just above 350 million. So like, there's a lot of people out there that need help that need assistance and a lot of people who don't really, they're not engaged. Um, and I think that I found, I found a direction that allowed me to get engaged, um, on a very substantive uh, level in a meaningful way. And I just took it and ran with it. No, that's awesome. I, um, I, I was thinking about that. Um, the same thing. So my dad, um, I grew up, my dad's a pastor. And so that Mm -hmm. whole, um, servanthood kind of, concept was built into my genes like I was this is how I am and so I'm I'm very much inclined to that and I don't know if it has to do like I'm I actually wasn't really into politics till about 2018 and um, um, that was the first the midterms time. midterms <laughs> exactly and I'm in New York so that's when it made sense honestly I was just a late bloomer and I was um, just thought about sure. how I was I mean I was just very concealed like the things that I thought about were very um, in front of me and in, in my realm. And I never really had, I mean, I worked in ministry at the time. And so all of this, all of this, I, my brain thought ministry and not public service. And so I knew public mm-hmm. service has, they, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, there, there's definitely some traits that go with polit, um, like politics and ministry. And they do kind of hold hands on some of the things that, that go about those. But I was very weary of politicians and I'll, I'll tell you this, um, upfront, it seems like you were like public servants are the way to go. And I've had, I recently had a conversation <clears throat> because I tend to lean more libertarian than I do anything. Um, mm-hmm. and so when you were like, I drafted a bill that adds more taxes, I was like, Oh boy, this is gonna be a good conversation. Um, but no, I think, <laughs> I think, uh, your surcharge for prepaid phone, prepaid phones, um, plays into the free market very well. And so I'm okay with that. Um, all right. I yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was going to go with like, it's voluntary. So if you know what you're paying for, you can, you're, it's all good. You know, matter of fact, I would, I would enjoy more when it came to politics that, um, if I knew, you know, every time I bought a TV, 
Um, those taxes, I knew exactly where those taxes were going. I think that would be a very beneficial thing for the government. Um, how, well, you know what? Let's stop there. How do you feel about that? Since you're in politics, how do you feel about the idea that when when taxes are pulled, you know where they go? So, uh, you know, I'm more focused on the international relations space. So that deals with everything, you know, with diplomacy, interpersonal communication, the way the countries operate with each other. So um, before I was working with the organization that I work for now, I was on Capitol Hill. Um, You know, I was doing everything from like communication and outreach to constituents. I was working on, you know, legislation and, you know, drafting, um, you know, pieces of information (laughs) that comes out of congressman's office. And before that, I did an internship with um, the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services in New York. So Homeland Security and, you know, focusing on uh, sort of the relationship between New York, but also New York being an international hub, what are the implications internationally? So right now, I guess I would say the organization I work for is more apolitical, even though we do a lot of work close by with the government. Um, But being involved in, in sort of, you know, government adjacent, but also living in Washington, D.C., you can't get away from that. And with that said, can you repeat your question one more time? Because I know I'm going off on a tangent. No, man, I, I love your tangent. Um, it wasn't really much of a question. I was just saying that um, I, uh, because I'm, I'm a little bit new to politics, um, and I mm-hmm. mostly my, my entire background comes between either art or ministry. And uh, those, weirdly enough, hold hands in a very distant fashion. But politics definitely... Um, involves itself. These bubbles all kind of connect in some realm. Absolutely. Um, and I was just saying that um, when it came to certain things that I believe they definitely affect, I mean, actually, that isn't what I was saying, but I was I was thinking about that, the idea that even my ministry affects the way I think about politics also affects the way I think about art. And so even if you're, so let's say this, your organization is apolitical, but you're definitely involved um, in politics and the government, but the government has a tendency to shift because it's America and it's meant to mm-hmm. be able to mold and, and flow with um, culture and times and stuff like that. So even being apolitical, you definitely have to shift the way you think about, actually, here's my, here's my new question. Um, how does, how does, how does that your personal politics um, affect the way you deal with when it comes to global Outreach, like, oh, I'm, I'm dancing around a question. Where do you fall on the idea of, like, should we influence – this is a dumb question, too. Um, sh- how should we influence other nations? And, and is, it, is it heavy-handed or is it um, through, like, a gentle kiss? <laughs> I guess is the best I way mean, to it's, it, it. it's a – yeah, I mean, it's a tricky question. Um, I go back to a statement that former um, – Secretary of Defense, I believe was his position, uh, Jim Mattis, he said on the record, uh, and he, you know, he worked in multiple administrations. So he worked along the lines of bipartisanship. So he worked for Democrats and Republicans. He went on the record saying, you know, big military guy worked in the Department of Defense for decades and decades and decades. And he said, the more money that you spend on foreign aid, in diplomacy, the less money that I have to spend on bullets and ammunition, tanks and things like that. Good point, yeah. So I guess my worldview is always approaching it with a diplomatic lens or through a diplomatic lens rather than 
you know, a hawkish sort of approach militarily. Gotcha. Um, and we see that happening right now. I mean, you know, in, in current events that, you know, with the United States government pulling out of Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, funny thing, I was actually this weekend, I was walking around D.C. and uh, I was near the White House. You know, one of my friends was in town to visit. And um, he wanted to go, you know, look at the White House. And there's this uh, hotel for people that know D.C. It's called the W. Um, okay. It's right near the White House and the Eclipse. And so I was meeting them for drinks on the rooftop. And I'm walking down the street and I see a fleet of Cadillacs, like six or seven Cadillacs, you know, blacked out, tinted windows, the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, they've got the American flag and the flag of Iraq on both sides of, of the Cadillac. Okay. And me, you know, living in, in, in foreign countries and speaking foreign languages and things like that, you know, I know enough Arabic to be able to spark a conversation. Oh, wow. So nice. I walk up to the guy and I noticed the flag was Iraqi. So living in Morocco, I learned enough Arabic and I was able to at least, you know, ask a question, make a statement, whatever. I said, yeah, I walk up and I said, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah which is a very religious uh, Islamic thing to say, but, you know, peace be upon you with the blessings of God. Yeah. And he looks at me and he said, are you American? And I said, yeah. He said, how do you know Arabic? <laughs> and I'm <laughs> yeah. just thinking like, to me, it's, you know, I'm walking up and I'm, I'm sparking, I'm finding a common interest. Yeah, That's exactly. what diplomacy is, Yeah, is finding common interests where you can then take the conversation and move it in a different direction. Moral of the story, you know, I, I started talking to the guy and I asked him what he was doing. He said he was working. I said, do you work for the embassy? He said, yes. And uh, I found out today after reading uh, the news that um, the Iraqi leadership was here in Washington to talk about ending the combat mission in Iraq. So President Biden just announced that he was going to pull the remainder of troops and end the combat mission in Baghdad and Erbil and all these places in Iraq. Um, as they're doing in Afghanistan, oh, but wow. he said okay. they're still yeah. going to operate, you know, under training and things like that. So oh, more of the story is, you know, you see this happening right now in current events with Middle Eastern countries, with North African countries, um, this, you know, approach toward diplomacy rather than hawkish, you know, assertive, aggressive type of militaristic foreign policy action. Yeah. No, I, t I, um, actually, I realized the question I had before it was, um, I mean, way back when we were talking, um, is it, but it's, it's neither here nor there about, um, knowing where your taxpayer money goes, you know, like if I buy, yeah. um, buy a phone, I know that that phone's, you know, that surcharge is going towards 911. Um, and that's a big libertarian argument as being like, how come we pay taxes, taxes and we don't get to decide on what we pay taxes on? Um, I'm sure we do in the long run, but um, the simple libertarian argument is that, but actually, the the thing that I'm way more interested in now is um, mm -hmm. what you just said. A part of diplomacy is is finding that common ground, but that that actually is something that is com. It, it's it's a common tool, and it's utilized the big time when it comes to doing conversations like I'm having with you. And so I I have conversations with people sure. I disagree with all the time, but finding that common ground is always the foundation to build a good conversation off of. And so I think. Um, I think that's absolutely true when it comes to diplomacy, um, especially even not just globally, but just um, you interacting with that with that gentleman, uh, being like, I know, I know the best stance to take is not just to run up and be like, hey, tell me who you are, but let me 
let me reach out a little bit further. And I think, I think when it comes to good mm-hmm. dialogue, um, it's, it's all about diplomacy. Um, yeah, I would ask, well, the thing, um, obviously you work in, um, international and, and global issues. Um, I don't know. You're also pretty young, but do you remember, <clears throat> I'm sure you did studies on this. Um, when, um, the U S was like, you know what? The thing with China is we just need to give them economics. And once we give them, um, enter them into the world economic sphere, um, everything will go well, but of it course. didn't quite work that way. No, they did. They benefited, but they still have a communist regime, like regime and stuff like that. How do you feel about what? What are your thoughts on that? Because that seems to be very diplomatic. Being like, well, instead of instead of dropping bombs on China or going to war with them, which is something that sounds awful, um, let's just let's encourage them and incentivize them into coming into the global economic system. Um, whereas, and they definitely benefited from it, um, but it didn't change. It's almost a way like when you build a foundation in a dialogue, being like, all right, let's find common ground. And then um, the other person in that dialogue takes that common ground and runs in a different direction and doesn't meet up with you. Is that, am I describing that correctly? Yeah, I mean, China's a hot topic right now. Um, and what I would, Oh, is it? I'm sorry, I, I didn't know up. that. <laughs> no, I'm that, just joking, I'm joking. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what I would bring up in conversation is, the Belt and Road Initiative. Are you familiar with this? I am. I'm so far out of politics that you got to walk me through it like a baby. Okay. So, so no worries. So basically, there's this thing called the Belt and Road Initiative. It's something that uh, the Communist Party in China had introduced um, under the leadership of President uh, Jing, uh, Xi Jinping, and yeah. it was all about investment, particularly in Africa. Okay. So what they did is they, I mean, China is obviously an affluent country. And like you mentioned with economics, they've, they've got the money to do so. So they recognized that there was a missing puzzle piece in Africa. Under the Trump administration, he, he sort of cut ties with a lot of African nations. He pulled investment, things of that nature. Um, and also the European Union wasn't really looking at partnering with sub-Saharan Africa as much as it should have. Uh, in, gotcha. in you know my humble opinion, of course. Yeah, no, but, that's fair. Uh, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa has a lot of potential. I mean, you're looking at countries like Kenya, countries like uh, Nigeria, countries like Zimbabwe and, and Tanzania. And what China did at that point in time that no other continent, no other entity, government entity in the world was doing was they took money and they invested it in African countries, particularly with infrastructure. So they built railroads, they built airports, bus stations, you name it. China was on top of it to the point now where if you drive down the streets of Tanzania, the road signs are in Chinese. Yeah. Well, let me back up. Is that, I mean, are you saying that's a good thing, right? Am I No, I'm saying, I'm saying that I think that there's, that there it's, it's one of those things where China has had so much leverage recently um, under the, the sphere of economics yeah. that they have been able to capitalize across the world. I mean, the United States has sort of given countries more recently like China and India a tremendous amount of power. Um, they've allowed them to build the trust of, of foreign countries 
at the same time, I feel like we mm-hmm. sort of have distanced ourselves from global partnership and cooperation. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and backing up onto the China concept, and this is where my thoughts go because I know a little bit, a little bit about this. Um, so the idea that, from what I've seen, you can tell me if I'm wrong because I'm not very. Um, I'm not very involved in this concept, but it does seem like China's like, hey, um, we're going to come in and do this, and then you will owe us a certain amount, and those people can't pay on their debts. So then they start to reap in the benefits of pursuing land and affluence in these countries, of being like, we're going to build a railroad system um, at this price, but they know that people can't pay that price, or they strike a deal. I mean, this is a simplistic way of me um, trying to line out exactly what I see globally. When it comes to it, am I wrong on that? Does it seem like a not? They're not going in there to build rails because they're humanitarian. Um, let's be honest. I, I don't think I don't think um, Apple Music is owned by China. It might be, um, so they might scratch this <laughs> off the podcast list. But I don't think they're. I don't think China's like you know what the world needs more railroads in Africa, and they're doing it without you know no cost to them. It's a charity move. Um, I definitely think it's a power play. Am I wrong on that? David, I feel like you should put a geopolitical scholar in your Instagram bio. <laughs> Jesus, after that oh, very nice. Okay. So I'm somewhere. I'm, I was so worried. You're on dude. point. That's absolutely on point. I was so worried. You're going to be like, this guy's an idiot. Why am I talking to him? Um, I was really worried about that because I, uh, because I don't know, like I know enough to, to think I'm, I'm smart. And that's, I mean, but that's everybody. That's the, the. I forgot there's a whole entire thing where dumb people think they're super smart and smart people think they're super dumb. So I just err on the side of dumb, um, which makes me smart. And so uh, I don't want to assume that. But, yeah, that seems like a power play. And it definitely – the problem is when it comes to America and our standards and principles, the idea shouldn't be um, just to have a power – I mean, let's be honest. We kind of do power play it um, in global economics. But a lot of of our global – our global influence doesn't come straight from the government. It comes from organizations like yours or even um, religious organizations. There's so many orphans, mm-hmm. uh, orphanages that are built in Africa based on just the Catholic Church. And I'm not Catholic, but they're doing something right. You know, like they're um, they're pursuing that. And so I look at – I'm sorry. I, I went on a giant rant. Um, I'll come back to you. What What are your thoughts on that? Was I I'm, – I'm right, but you, I felt like you had something to add to that. Yeah, I, I mean, you're on point in regards to, you know, China. China has made that investment, and it's not even just Africa. I mean, they've done it in Eastern Europe, um, you know, uh, more poverty-stricken areas, disenfranchised areas of Greece um, and other European countries. They've made those investments knowing that they're not – those countries are not going to be able to pay them back. So they'll come in, for example, diplomatically and say, you know, we're going to give X amount of um, money toward a railroad. We're going to build this railroad. And, you know, you can pay us back. You know how, like, when you um, – I, I don't even know when it comes, like, financially. Like, oh, dude, paying something back. They're basically a credit and, card and, and, company. And, like, they're just like, hey. Exactly. Yeah, they're a credit card like, company. China, yeah. China is uh, his visa or MasterCard or <laughs> whatever. It right? Yeah. <laughs> Capital 100%. One. Hey, so shout like, out sponsor Capital, Capital One, one uh, for the DC. podcast. Yeah. yeah, no, they you're dead on. Yeah, they're they're basically a credit card company. They're they're putting you in debt that you don't know you have, but you need the necessity of it. Although you know, credit exactly. cards, you don't technically need that money. But um, yeah, man, that's that's a good analogy. That's a good analogy. But well, but what I was going to say is, is they come in and they say, you know, you can pay us back, you know, monthly, yearly, etc. Um, knowing that those countries are not going to be able to pay them back, right? Yeah. So what they do is they say, oh, uh, you know, Rwanda, um, 
oh, Tanzania, the government of Zimbabwe, you cannot pay us back. So therefore, we are owners of this airport. We're owners of this bridge. We're owners of this train station. And that is how China has extended their global operations in a way that the European Union and the United States has not done. I, th- I don't think that that's a good approach, personally. Um, I think that things I mean, can be done in a partnership rather than a total uh, you know, operation of control. But I do understand the approach. I think that that's something that we should, we should certainly take a look at. I think, um, I think the approach you know, is – I think, I think it depends on whether or not you think it's – when you say good, is it profitable or moral? I think that's the difference between that word good. Is that a good approach? Mm-hmm. Uh, morally, maybe not. Profitably, yes. That's a good monopoly play. Like if you're playing monopoly against China, um, they're putting hotels on all of the good ones. And so um, okay. – and that's that's kind of how I feel about that. There's uh, – um, there, <clears throat> the problem is the problem is the idea that you – not everybody's – Everybody's playing to the best, and I'm assuming like there's tons of people in government that know what's going on. I, we, me, and you on this podcast cannot be the only people who know that that's happening, right? Like we're not the only ones, right? Sure. sure. Please, no, no. I don't need sure. I need like yes. There's smart people in government. Can you tell me that, please? <laughs> don't say sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. No, Thank I God. Mean, there's, oh there's, God. There's committees. There's commissions. There's, okay. You know, uh, like for example, uh, on you know with the Congress or the Senate. There are literally committees that exist to particularly examine these issues, okay. right? So, like, right. you have senators from, you know, different states that examine this to a T. And yeah. they have – they work with non-governmental organizations. They work with non-for-profit leaders and, and, and startups to be able to understand how this stuff works. Okay, so the okay. government is very attuned to to all of this, okay. 100%. That's that's all I wanted to know. I just wanted, I just wanted to know that – you weren't like, hey, this this guy I'm talking to, so man, you're smart. You should come work for us. I don't I don't need that because that just <laughs> makes me feel that makes me feel less encouraged about the government. Um, and I'm already a sure. libertarian, so that's that's not a good sign for me. Um, when they're like, hey, you should work here. Um, that's a right. <laughs> that's a red flag, um, big time. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the idea of that, <clears throat> I think, I mean, we we kind of built this the China thing off the idea of you know we we wanted China to enter in into the world discourse but they did but they did it fairly smart and they did it very well um still being able to be communist and then working in a capitalist global capitalist society uh being like we're gonna credit card debt um these nations i had um i want to take a break for a minute but i want you to think about this i had a conversation recently with um um a monarchist um libertarian You, you know what monarchoism is right no okay it's uh, enlightenment oh dude i just learned this too um there's so in libertarianism (laughs) there's anarcho uh and caps uh anarcho capitalists and then there's minarchs and so they're basically they're minimal anarchists um and so man this is a long we're about to hit a hot topic um so um just heads up so they were talking about the idea of not just balkanizing americas but splitting america into Mm -hmm. the way the european union is so all states become their own separate countries mm-hmm. and it's just a thought so i want to i want to take a break here in a minute but um and and his concept was going if every state worked like a government on their own but had the european union style feel to america because we're 
obviously we're a little divided right now, um, then that would allow states to be able to govern the same way you they would want to be governed and people are allowed to move in and out. And my biggest my biggest argument when I sat down was like, hold on, that doesn't work well. And he's like, why is that? I said, because then you're going to have North Dakota, who needs a railway, sell half their land to the CCP. And then now you have inside, like dead center of the heartland, you have a part of America that's owned by China. And I was like, and no, no one can do anything about it because the states are there. That's why you need the federal government to be able to regulate what can and cannot happen. If you divide it this much, um, you you open up, you become, you open up all the links to be able to be attacked on smaller scale. And I was like, this this, I know libertarians love the idea of like freedom and everyone should be able to you know own guns and live where they want, but. Um, everyone has their price. And so your neighbor sure. who loves to own guns and, and live out in the woods um, also can be bought off. And then all of a yeah. sudden, there's a Chinese base uh, next door. And so there's some things there that need to be talked about. But um, I'll let you sit on that for a little bit. Let's take a break and we'll come back. Is that cool? Sounds good. All right. Is that a good topic to come back on or is that? I think that's an excellent topic right, and cool, uh cool. I, I have a feeling we can dive into it for sure all right sweet i was i was hoping you'd be like no david you're an idiot we need to talk about something else no um, david you're an idiot can we can we can we talk about something else no I'm <laughs> hey have you seen loki <laughs> no i'm joking all right um let's take a break and uh we'll come back and uh we'll pick up the conversation all right thanks man yes sir Hey guys, I don't know if you know this, um, but not only am I a podcaster, but I'm also an artist and a pretty decent one at that, if I might say so. And if you were like, you know what, I don't believe this guy, I don't think he's that good of an artist, um, you can go check out my work at etsy.com slash shop slash pardon will. And then when you're convinced, you can also purchase all my artwork there. Now, it's not just, you know, original artwork. There's also prints, and you can change sizes. So you're like, you know, I like this piece, but I don't want it too big. I want it this way or whatever. Um, you can go there and peruse my entire category that I have for sale. Um, and everything starting from like $5 and up all the way sky's the limit. So if you're like, you know what, um, not only do I want to judge this guy's voice and his attitude, I want to judge his art as well. You can go there. Um, and if you can't find that, you know, Etsy's not your thing. You can also go to my website, pardonwell.com. But, um, if you're, uh, wanting to check it out and want to buy a piece of art and you go to the Etsy, um, use promo code podcast and that'll get you 10% off. And that's my way of saying Thanks for listening, um, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I hope you enjoy my art, um, and that is just for you. So if you're listening to the podcast, you want to check it out, go to etsy.com slash shop slash pardon will. Use promo code podcast, get 10% off. Um, you won't regret it. And we're back. Um, hey, man, I, I did realize that I went into a long rant um, on probably something <laughs> that you were like, this is nonsense. Um, but it is a bit of a hot topic, the idea of <clears throat> not – Actually, I kind of dragged you down some weird uh, rabbit hole into some libertarian infighting. Um, but it is somewhat relevant, and I know it's not relevant to global, like, international dealings. But um, I don't know if you want to talk about this. But Biden recently has definitely talked about civil war and those, you know, certain – the country being divided is something that is a big, hot topic. And where I'm sure. a little reluctant to talk about it because um, – it's not really something in my sphere. I don't, I seem a little apolitical and you do as well. Is that something that you deal with a lot? Like, um, party divide? Um, a little bit less, less so right now. 
Okay. Um, yeah. I think, you know, the insurrection obviously amplified that tremendously. I think um, so too, yeah. Having, ha- having friends that worked, you know, in the Capitol building on January 6th, um, you know, fortunately I was back home in New York, so I wasn't, I wasn't here in Washington and, um, you know, I can only speak on the experiences of others who I've heard, you know, stories from, but, um, you know, I, it's, it's certainly true. I mean, there is a staunch <laughs> divide in this country right now between, um, you know, political parties and people who want the country to be one way, you know, call it nationalistic or call it, you know, more conservative or being, you know, more liberal, progressive, some might call socialist. Um, you know, I don't really want to get into the weeds on, you know, the specifics, but, um, you know, I think we all do recognize the elephant in the room and there is a lot of tension, um, you know, between coastal cities and, you know, Midwestern cities and, and Central America and, and things like that. Um, center of America, not Central America, uh, you know, more toward yeah. South America. But, you know, there is there is a divide and um, it, it, it sucks. You know, it's one of those things where I have friends who are Republican. I have friends who are Democrats. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I just wish that we were able to going back to the diplomacy piece, you know, sit down and find common ground. That's yeah. it. Right. Yeah, and and, no, and find a way to be able to have conversations together and come together on issues and, and you know, policies, uh, quite frankly, that didn't, you know, cause this concern over, you know, oh, you believe something or, or you are affiliated with a party that I don't align with. Well, you must be Antifa or you must be whatever. Um, yeah. You know, there's people term coins and, and things like that, but or coin terms. Um, but it's just one of those things where it's, it's frustrating, uh, because you can't, you, you want to help out and you want to, you know, sort of control the situation, but it's just not, (laughs) you can't control it. Yeah. But the thing behind that, and this is why I brought it up in the first place in the back of my head was, um, the idea that, uh, we're, we're dealing with our own within, within like the United States, we're dealing with our own ability to, um, diplomatically argue or at least come together in some sense um does that not portray into um how we deal with global effects like we'd have to assume that when when the united states steps out into the world you know into the global in our relations um those things that we deal with internally are not it's not like it's quite we have the internet now and um and everyone knows and so if there's a lesson to be learned, it's like, well, you know, America's not very diplomatic because they, they can't even be diplomatic with themselves. And so that seems very weak to us. Am, am I wrong on that? I think what Americans don't under, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I don't think what Americans really understand is the world is bigger than the United States, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. And to be successful in the world, we have to understand it. Yeah, um, no, I totally agree. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the big things is cultural competence. And I think I mean, to be frank, I think it's the most important skill of the 21st century. Uh, you know, the best way to combat fear and hate and a growing divide is through globalization and the exchange of ideas and mm. the, you know, coming together and, and having conversations. Um, you know, going back to the China piece that we talked about, I mean, China is a country that has doubled their diplomatic budget. 
they've invested in development. They've uh, been more innovative with technology and intelligence sectors. And we have a hard time negotiating on Capitol Hill infrastructure bills yeah. and American jobs plans. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's the divide is it's it's very transparent. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I just wish that we were able to come together as a nation and, you know, work together and communicate rather than just you know, be political or make statements because, you know, some sort of uh, leadership in a political party sends you an email in the morning about talking points to discuss on MSNBC or, or Fox News. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that falls on every, and I mean, myself included, uh, of not being um, political at all until, you know, a few years back. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm joining into a race that I've never been in before um, and trying to like absorb all the information at once. But um, and that that was the first thing that I thought of is like, wait, hold on, we're all we're all adults, like, or at least I assume we are. Um, we're adults for the most part. You're you're 22, and I'm 36, and we have um, a better conversation than most people I see that are 50 having conversations. Right. And I don't know if that's because um, I don't think it goes down to being apolitical. I think it comes down to principles and pragmatism. And so, um, whereas an uh, I believe you have principles. You're a little bit more pragmatic than I am because I, I deal way more in philosophy. And so, um, sure. and that just comes from my own, that's why I'm not in politics because um, philosophy tends to, I tend to lean more towards the idea of like um, the thought and the theory of things. Whereas in you actually have hands on of like, this is what cultures, I also haven't traveled. You, you've traveled the world um, and you, you've mm -hmm. definitely have grown from that. And you, you understand the idea that, uh, honestly, you understand something that philosophers have to jump through hoops for, um, which is we're we're whereas in we are different countries and there's there's border lines for that, but but we all are somewhat the same and we're all dealing with some of the same problems. Um, could you speak to that a little bit? Like it's it's weird for for me to talk to people here in the United States being like, well, you know, these are the things that we're dealing with. And it's like, well. You know the the divide in the United States is weird because it's it's somewhat basic. Um, it's it's a little bit tribal, but tribes exist all over the world, and it's just a a smaller scale. If you were to take it to a tribe of sixty, um, chances are they're dealing with the same thing that the tribes in the Americas are dealing with. And so, phil philosophically, it just seems like we're all people and we're all dealing with the same thing. It just when you get this many people in one room, uh, as the internet has done. Um, that tribe of 60 becomes a tribe of, you know, 30, 350 million. Um, and it's most likely going to divide into a tribe. Um, because it, I mean, you've traveled the world. How do you feel about that? Does, does it seem like most, there is a, a, a divide in most places you go or no? No, I mean, well, I mean, there has been an uptick in authoritarianism across the world. Um, you know, for example, the Maduro <laughs> regime in Venezuela, yeah. Um, you've got Viktor Orban in Hungary. You've got President Erdogan in Turkey. There, there, there has been an uptick um, yeah. with leaders who are very nationalistic, who think that they just need to operate internally and they don't need to have uh, partnerships with with other foreign countries. But like, like I said at the inception of the podcast, you know, I grew up with Anthony Bourdain. I grew yeah. up on parts unknown and, and, and um, no reservations. And one of the things before Bourdain had passed, and I mean, you know, someone says, you know, like everyone asked the question of like, if you could have dinner 
with someone dead or alive, who would you have a who would you have dinner with? Who would you want to talk to? Yeah. And for me, it has always been Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. And one of the things that he said before he passed, um, you know, he's in an interview and someone said, what is your biggest takeaway from your travels? And he said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, be open to, to new experiences, be willing to try new things. Um, accepting random acts of hospitality without judging someone or having mm-hmm. fear of what that hospitality is. But really? most importantly, being humble and being grateful about yeah. the situation that you're in. I mean, listen, man, I've been in, in you know, the most affluent parts of the world, um, you know, drinking champagne, looking over you know, a French balcony at the Eiffel Tower, but I've also been in developing countries where you you can't even use the the water that comes out of the sink to brush your teeth yeah. because it's you know it'll it'll make you sick. Um, and I think just having that understanding of the dichotomy between um, rich and poor, and <laughs> also the wealth disparity that is that is all over the world, um, even here in the United States. You know, I, I tend to have a globalist perspective, but you know, we can look at, uh, you know, poor and disenfranchised community right here in Washington, D.C. I mean, you've got Capitol Hill and, and you've got restaurants and bars where members of Congress and uh, elected officials and lobbyists, they go and they, you know, spend hundreds of dollars on dinner bills and steakhouses and things like that. But you also have two blocks away, three, bo- three blocks away, uh, just a horrific amount of gun violence. And that comes from a lack of investment in education. That comes from a lack of investment in communities and development. And it's just, it, it's so clear city by city. City, uh, You know, you can look at Chicago, you can New York, you look at LA uh, with homelessness. And it's so easy to, to make the comparison um, across the world and, and what that means from an American perspective, but it's happening right here at our homeland. And all it takes is a little bit of um, compassion and empathy, (laughs) quite frankly, toward, toward other communities and and neighborhoods to be able to really make that investment. Um, I, I totally agree actually. And I think um, if I was going to, I'm not trying to, because I'm a little bit in the center. And so um, I tend to lean. Actually, I don't even know where I lean. Um, the more conversations I have with people who are in politics and have an idea what politics are, uh, the more lost I feel when it comes to parties. Um, but those right. those concepts, when you take like, um, you know, you know, the French balcony versus the third world where they can't brush their teeth without getting sick, um, right. the common denominator behind that tends to be, you're right, education, um, opportunity, um, but it also becomes um, somewhat of a leadership concept because at some point in time in France you couldn't brush your teeth and you you would get sick but something happened and and this is what worries me is because the there's there's two types of authoritarians um the authoritarian that that looks out for the country like a nationalist authoritarian and then the authoritarian that looks out for themselves and I would have to say the divide between a third world other than resource let's be honest there's certain places that don't have the resources to be able to compete in a globalist economy um, mm-hmm. and they need help. They need assistance with that, but, but that they're not going to get help unless they have a good authoritarian system, at least in that where they can be coherently one tribe. So say you have, you know, French, like 
today, like I watched a video of like France and a lot of protesters just stormed the Capitol, took um, Macron, I think is his name, um, took his picture off the wall and smashed it um, because of the mask mandates. So there's obviously a divide in France where it's affluent. They have money, they have prosperity, but there's something that's not working there as well. Um, whereas you could take something like, um, you know, mid-Africa, somewhere in there, and they would have the same concept, um, but it's just on a smaller, less wealthy stance. But there, these are the same arguments happening in different places. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It definitely matters how that leadership is dealing with what, with, with the responsibility that they're given. And if you give someone responsibility, um, there's a small, there has to be a small percentage of people who are going to handle it well. And I would say, you know, France is wealthy because at some point in time, either one, they were so over authoritarian um, that they forced the poor people to enhance the wealth, or they were yeah. so authoritarian on the idea of a free way, uh, authoritarian towards global economy. And so they made their, they plowed their way within the global um, economy, which kind of sounds like a, like a, world war ii you know like um sure, germany sure. germany would be super rich right now had they won you know what i'm saying like so at some right. point in time either wealth has come by um i think i think it comes down to wealth either comes by extreme well um diplomacy and care for the people yeah. or it comes from an authoritarian um conquering of something else and so yeah. um i mean i might i might be lost on that and that was a little bit of a rant but um i definitely i i i don't like i i'm Obviously, yeah. I don't like a, I don't like authority. I don't like authority telling me what I can and cannot do. But it's it's almost so hard to be able to accomplish, even if you if you micro scale it down to a personal life. So I uh, I enjoy free will. But if I have no discipline, if I don't have uh, the will or discipline in my own life to get things done, nothing's ever going to get done. If I give myself the freedom, there's a there's a quote. Um, that I love from an author, his name's Thomas Burton, and he talks about the idea of freedom. And he talks about the idea, the freedom, when you have freedom, it's it's almost imperative that you use it as a tool um, to make the right choice. Because if you have freedom and you just squander it because it's free, then it it um, becomes an enemy of yourself. So he says, um, it's smart, it, you know, if you have a million dollars, it would make sense that you would light your cigarettes with a $100 bill. He goes, but that's not a good allocation of your wealth. He goes, if you're, you know, freedom isn't just a firework to blow off in the air. It's a tool to be able to build and move. And so he, he talks about the more freedom you have, the more responsibility that you have. And that's a dedication to yourself and to God. And so he, he, he moves into that because he's a, he's a Trappist monk. And so he, he moves in that spiritual aspect of that. But I think about that all the time when it comes to freedom in America, because we're given, we're given this freedom, this concept, but without the responsibility, without the moral obligation of the responsibility of not just the world, but ourselves, which we don't have. Uh, that's my personal opinion, that we we lack responsibility, even though we're given this much freedom. Um, I think the lack of responsibility is what causes the the inability to affect the world in a positive sense. And so right now, it seems like America needs to be authoritarian in its discipline, um, but then it sacrifices all its freedom at the same time. So you can't have you really you you either have all your freedom with morals or you have authoritarian with no with none um because you don't you don't get that a lot you, you will only light your cigarettes with your hundreds and so if we don't have that concept of real um understanding i'm sorry that was a 
this is a free no I, I mean look I, I think a lot of it it comes down to <laughs> political stability as well right yes, so yes. like having the choice to be able to elect your leaders your you know the folks who are in leadership positions for your country um you know in america we have democratic electoral processes yeah right um you know we're able to elect our members of congress we're able to elect members of the united states senate and all the way down the ballot right like yeah. uh city mayors and and state assembly members and state senators and the president of the united states so we have those systems in place to be able to do that the problem is is there are so many places across the world where those systems aren't concrete, for lack of a better term. No, that's good. Um, that's a good term. And, yeah. and, and, and you're able to, you know, folks are able to exploit and take advantage of that. I mean, look at what just happened in, in Haiti a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, exactly. the assassination of, of the president of Haiti. Um, obviously, you know, let's put conspiracy theories aside, but the, the president of Haiti was disliked throughout the country. And yeah. Haitian people, if you talk to Haitian people, they say, you know, we may not like his policies, but he's still our president. Yeah. And you have that sort of sentiment across uh, nations where they may not agree with their leaders, but that's still their leader, um, which I think is a very profound thing. And mm. I've picked up on that throughout my travels, you know, uh, all the way from from central Latin America to, to, to Northern Africa, to Eastern Europe, to the Middle East. Wait, hold on. Let's talk, let's talk about that for a minute. So are you saying that people are more inclined to have a leader other than being like, well, it's a leader, it's an evil leader. We don't like him. Um, but it's better to have a leader than no leader. Is that, is that the sentiment or they're saying think, like, it's good to have an mm -hmm. evil leader when it comes to a global aspect. At least we have somebody who will, who has, for the lack of a better term, balls to be able to sure. um, to to be able to function in a global economy or at least a global setting, um, it's good to have that. Other than not having a leader and us being in total chaos, is that is that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, I think that on the ground you've got people who look at these very you know authoritarian strong leaders and they think that they just have so much um, control over the situation that yeah. there's no way. And, uh, you know, politics in a way is very manipulative, right? Like you've got manipulation that's ingrained in politics where I promise you, you know, for example, um, it, you know, makes me think about uh, the 2020 primaries, the Democratic primaries, you know, someone like yeah. Andrew Yang, right, yeah, who yeah. said, you elect me to become president, we're going to have uni universal basic income, and I'm going to give every single person $1,000. Yeah. Um. And you think about that, right? And you say a thousand dollars. That sounds great. <laughs> and I'm not trying to, you know, take pick sides about Andrew Yang. You know, he just ran for mayor of New York I City. I like Andrew um, Yang. Yeah, he's a good guy. You're right, he, and and he was inspiring. Yeah, right? well, that, he, he that's why I liked him. Right, and yeah. he instilled a different type of energy into politics that people have never felt before. Yeah, well, the thing right? about Andrew like, Yang, not to jump mm -hmm. in, but um, that whole concept, like, I'm going to give everyone this. We're going to uni uh, universal basic income. Um, I was like, you know there's more steps than just you declaring it. It reminds me of Michael Scott when he goes in, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> I was like, no, you have to right, go through right, right. Congress. <laughs> like, this is, this is something that works out. You Just because you're president, you may be able to drop nukes. 
Um, but you can't just give everyone a thousand dollar check. You have to go through a process of that. Um, I'm sorry, that was a long rant, but I, I that's all I thought about with Andrew. I was like, maybe you could incentivize it, um, but you got to convince quite a bit of people um, for this to work out. And so, you know, what's funny is that happened prior to the pandemic before the stimulus. Checks, oh no, I totally right? remember listening to so, it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so the government came out and they said, we're going to give stimulus checks, $1,200, $600, yeah. $1,800, $24 if you have children. Um, and when I was on Capitol Hill, I remember every single day turning on, you know, whether it was Bloomberg or, you know, whatever sort of financial, um, television network that they only play at country clubs yeah. <laughs> uh, and just and watching that for hours and hours and hours and hours and listening to debate and, and dialogue. And they would have, you know, the, some member of the, you know, congressional finance committee talk about, you know, where they were at in negotiations. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I, it was so fascinating to me because I'm like the government, the United States government is giving every eligible citizen money. And Andrew Yang was one of the politicians who spoke about that before it even was before feasible. It was a thing. Yeah. And, and and people and people looked at him and they said, "Are you crazy? Yeah. yeah. How how are you going to make that happen?" <clears throat> um, but you know, are you I saying Andrew say, Yang started COVID? Are you? Uh, no, I'm joking. That's a <laughs> dumb conspiracy. Um, ha- had this been, a, if you were on Joe Rogan right now, that would be a news right. clip for tomorrow. Um, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I, I thought that was strange as well. Um, he definitely. Uh, I, do you want to jump into UBI? You want to talk about that? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, how do how do you feel about UBI? Man, I um, I understand the philosophy the philosophy behind the concept. If you give people that blanket, it's basically all all UBI is really just a safety net. It's a safety net for whatever happens that month. If you're going to talk in, so I've been poor a majority of my life. And so I understand the concept of being like, um, I know when a flat tire isn't just a flat tire, it's you losing your job. Like I understand that concept um, way too, way too close to the heart. So when it comes to UBI being like, well, you have this leniency um, to not have to worry about every single problem. Um, that does psychologically lower your stress level. It will. It will lower your stress. But it also can incentivize you. So I've also been in places where, you know, I've had jobs where I make this mu- this amount and then, you know, switch jobs and made a pay cut. Um, but I've, but hum- um, I'm trying to think of the word. Um, I've definitely been able to evolve and adjust my lifestyle according to which actually is really bad for saving money because the more money you make the chances are the less money you're actually going to save because you're not used to making that amount so your your lifestyle has a tendency to change and so i know the argument on both sides i understand the concept of being like you know what would be nice getting a full night's sleep not worrying about the fact that my lights might get cut off tomorrow um i have this there's this once again bringing back c.s lewis he talks about the idea that he would love to write um, an essay about having a toothache, but he, he can only write it with precision while he has a toothache. But the problem with the toothache is he can't write about it because the pain's too, ex- um, it, it's, it's too much for you to be able to think through. And so I have yeah. that concept, you know, if, say I want to sit down and write a philosophy paper. You know what the hardest part about writing a philosophy paper is pushing your late bills aside on the desk to write that <laughs> philosophy paper. And that 
that's something I think about all the time is sure. if you had that safety blanket like a UBI, you might be able to expand upon your lifestyle and not just lifestyle, but lifestyle of thought. You might be able to expand your thought instead of worrying it where you would worry about what whether or not you're going to make it to work tomorrow because you don't have the gas money. You might be able to spend more time on, am I spending time with my kids enough? You could. Yeah. That's our higher angels acting. And that's where I like to dwell. I like to think the betterment of people. I'm thinking if you give them a safety blanket, the, the, they're going to think to the betterment of their thoughts. Now, the flip side is give me $1,000 a week and tell me I'm not going to buy lotto tickets with that. Because me personally, if I don't need that 1000 why not toss it on the blackjack table and see if I can make mm -hmm. two grand out of that? And so mm -hmm. it's a, it's um. You can't have UBI without talking about um, the sociology of man, the psychology of man, um, because there's there's multiple different facets to how people react when you give them certain opportunities. So, you know, the next Mar Mark Zuckerberg could be out there, but he can't create, you know, whatever the next thing is, Facebook 2.0, because he, he's too worried about trying to make sure he doesn't have a flat tire so he can get to work. Whereas mm -hmm. and he could had he had UBI. But there's also the person of being like, well, is that an incentive? Is that incentivized? I'm sorry, this is a long rant. You haven't even got to say your piece. Um, I'll just end it there. You you know what I'm saying? Yeah. How do you feel? Yeah, about no, 100. percent I mean, look, I think it comes down to the point of good versus bad, positive versus negative. What is more impactful to the individual who's receiving that money? Um, we have a staunch wealth disparity in the United States of America. Oh, for sure. I yeah, mean, definitely. It, 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 it's, it, it's egregious. I mean, uh, shout out to Jeff Bezos. I'm Dude. a loyal Amazon prime subscriber. Uh, you know, I'll leave that at what it is, but um, can got, I hold on? Like, let me jump in. The go one ahead, thing ahead, that, that pisses me off about Jeff, Jeff Bezos the most is that he wore a cowboy hat. Like you're not from Texas. <laughs> like, what are you doing with a cowboy hat? Take that off. Sure. Take it off. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I understand the whole exploration of, of space. And, you know, I've had debates with colleagues about this, right? You know, people who think that it's extraordinary and that space exploration, tourism, travel is the next new thing. That's fine. Yeah. But when I read, you know, statistics about billions of dollars per minute being spent on this extravaganza to suborbital space, as a globalist, I think about what yeah. could change with that money, right? <laughs> like what, yeah. like how many schools could be built from that money? How many, uh, you know, Bill Gates is a big, um, you know, sanitation uh, advocate across sub-Saharan Africa. Like how many, you know, pipes and, 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 and sanitation for water and things like that could have been invested in from that money. So I say all that to say, yeah. You, you know, the concept of the wealth disparity in the United States is it, it, it's just it, it's insane. It's insane. Um, Dylan, Dylan, let me, jump, let me jump in real quick. So sure. here's the concept. Let me let me see what your thoughts are about this. And so, yes, I agree. Um, and a lot of people, I think AOC came out and she was like, he could end world. I mean, uh, don't quote me on this. I don't know if she said this, um, but I think I saw a tweet. Someone saying that, you know. Um, for one trip to space, he could have ended world hunger. And I was like, that's a good point. That is very much a good point. But you have to understand, like you have to assume that, same with UBI. This all ties together. This is all gi one giant package. And so sure. 
even with like progress and charity, same thing it deals with like ministry. Um, you can give, you can give out. Uh, one of the one of the struggles when it comes to like church ministry is you can you have to decide on where you're going to put the money that the patrons of the church I mean the tithers people who come and put church in what what they want to see develop and most of the time it's inner community they want their community to become a better community and that always comes from putting money into the community um, but what people don't tell you is the more money you spend inside the community is actually what does better so if you give people um, money in the community the chances of them spending it on their local corner store or going to Walmart is more likely going to go to Walmart. And so even if you were to give a ton of people, you know, you're in one small community, um, you give a ton of people, you know, their thousand dollars to UBI, um, because it's cheaper to go to Walmart and spend that money, that money gets siphoned, uh, like siphoned back to the big corporations while your local flower shop is dying because they're not spending it there. So the incentive, it's not you're not incentivized to spend it within your community if you don't know that if you spend it in your community that it recycles itself. So as long as you have a community that wants to build themselves up, like I talk about this with the artists all the time, that people being like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I want good art on my wall. You could spend the same amount you would for that piece at Marshall's that you could on a local artist, but what you're doing is giving them an opportunity to continue to do it more. So I have, I have this conversation because I deal with artists all the time of being – the, the best way to support an artist is to pour into the community, but that only makes it work if everyone pours into the community. If every poor community Absolutely. kept the money inside that community, that would accumulate and grow. You wouldn't have poor communities anymore because if they learned to not spend it outside, then they would, they would be able to accumulate more wealth and that community wouldn't be poor anymore. Um, but that doesn't work when you have something like Walmart or you have something like Jeff Bezos. And so... On the flip side, high tide does, in that scenario, high tide does raise all ships. And so when it comes to Jeff Bezos being like, I'm going to start this, but this is going to lead to people being able to do space travel further on. And so while you could solve world hunger by giving everyone food, you're not you're not raising – man, I sound like a freaking conservative. Um, I don't mean this. <laughs> I'm coming across this way. But hypothetically – Say space travel becomes, this is the doorstep of space travel for people to take luxury space travels into, you know, the moon. There's a space base Mm -hmm. on the moon because Jeff Bezos decided to do this thing. Um, This also opens it up for people who live in that community of being surrounded, like Jeff Bezos' lower income neighbors are going to, I mean are, are going to be able to attain more wealth because they're, you know, the cooks on the ship in that kind of concept. And so, I mean, that's a far stretch, but, um, America, the poverty level in America is not anything what it is in West Africa. Like, can you agree? Sure. Yeah. And sure. so I would 100%. say that has a lot to do with the richest of the rich becoming more rich. Like we have to have a correlation of being like the more rich, the rich get, the more the level of poverty does raise. It's just not proportionate, nor is it fair, nor is it what it should be so i agree and i disagree <laughs> um because i'm i'm worried about stripping the rich of their wealth and then making everyone poor and that's well i yeah that's what i, I, I think what i think one of the big things too is like recognizing public versus private sector involvement yeah. um you know you have people like elon musk and spacex yeah and one of the trips to space that spacex did was to bring supplies to the International Space Station. Um, 
you know, those are inherently good missions. Um, you also have the evolution and the establishment of the Space Force as the sixth branch of the United States military. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, an advocate of the Space Force. I think understanding the way that technology is going, the way that military is heading and all of that globally, um, there are more countries who are dumping billions and billions of dollars into space exploration. And a really good example is the United Arab Emirates. I mean, the Emiratis have done an incredible job in establishing, really? yes, in, you know, investing in, in space exploration and um, rocket ships and, it, it's it's really remarkable, and, and for anyone listening um, who is interested in this concept, I really implore you to check out uh, the Emiratis' uh, investment in, in this concept because they have – it's sort of like what we talked about earlier with China and economics. I yeah. compare that to the Emiratis in, in space exploration. So I, I think that there is certainly um, – an avenue for us to look into, you know, sort of investing in space forces and looking into, um, you know, cyber and things like that. I mean, you've got all these cyber crimes and yeah. cybersecurity implications that, you know, and hacking and things like that. Like if you're taking a trip to space and then someone hacks your, your spaceship, well, that's you're idea. screwed, yeah. right? Like that's a <laughs> bad idea. Um, and we just we have to be cognizant of that. And we live in the 21st century, so everything is fair game. Um, and there are a lot of there are a lot of things that we don't even have any sort of conceptual understanding as American citizens because none of us have security clearances, yeah. right? Like there there are a lot of things that happen and that are discussed behind closed doors that we have no no input on because people are still trying to figure it out. Um, and I, and I think it's really important to bring that up and, and insert that into this discussion. No, I um, oh, I mean, I hate to hold on, hold on one second, hold on one second. I'll be right back. My dog's starting uh, going after. You said you're on dog duty. It's all good. Yeah, dude. He um, <laughs> one of the, normally the cats stay away from them, um, but every once in a while a cat gets a wild hair. I got like a freaking farm over here. Um, he gets a wild hair and wants to play with him, and uh, no one of my dogs will eat my other cat. Um, so I'll, I'll cut this out of the podcast. Um, sure. can you, can you, before I respond, can you bring that back up again? Cause I was a little distracted. Um, no, no worries. Just a, a quick synopsis so I can respond. So I think one of the things that is really important to recognize is the establishment of the space force, right. And the, as the sixth branch of the military, but also like public private sector yeah. investment in space exploration i think one of the countries that does a phenomenal job with this is the emiratis oh yeah um you uae has invested so much money into rocket ships and education and helping their citizens become more interested in space exploration yeah um you know i, I i've seen <laughs> so many new trends across the world of investment particularly in this in this aspect of um, of tourism I mean as yeah. to, to coin Jeff Bezos term so oh my God. Um, yeah. I you know I'm totally I'm, I'm not anti space tourism or exploration but I just it's one of the things that I think is an interesting concept that you know you can look at in a hundred different directions yeah. um, and, and and let the conversation shift you know by by topic yeah well here's the thing here's the thing about where um and I, I, I'm 
a little reluctant to say this, but um, I listened to um, uh, conservative output on this idea, mm-hmm. and I was like, this is, he's not wrong um, when he said, like, you know, when it comes to space exploration, I'd much rather it do from me buying, you know, shirts off of Amazon versus me paying taxes. And uh, because I'm, I'm very much libertarian, so I'm like, if sure. who's going to space? Is it Biden? If Biden's p- using my money to go to space, I'm pissed. Um, but if right. if it's Jeff Bezos, because I want to watch, you know, you know, Scrubs on Amazon Prime, then I'm okay. Uh, because it is, he's, he's, it's not like he's taking money from me on purpose. You know, like it's not like you, you want to have that two hour course. delivery. That's yeah, exactly. I want the two hour. You know what? Go to space as long as I can get what I want. Um, we get a it, Whole Foods discount. <laughs> exactly, but the problem is when it comes to like, I mean, we think about the '60s back when they sent the moon. That was all tax dollars building, which was good. I'm not saying it's bad. Um, you know, all your tax dollars went to hiring that Hollywood studio just to plant. No, I'm joking. Um, not, I'm not a moon <laughs> denier. Um, but um, that concept is smart, though. You know, if 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 God, this this is the real libertarian coming out of me. Um, the idea of everything being privatized works best for me um, because I'm more inclined to be like, well, yes, let let space exploration be privatized because that's good because it doesn't come out of my pocket. Um, because they're until like alien forces come, they're not defending my freedom. Um, where I where I run into a weird libertarian stance is I like I like the ideal ideal of a military. Like I like the idea that my I, I will pay for my freedoms to be defended like that's that's a good value for me um going to space don't send jeff bezos on my dollar um unless he's earned it and he's earned it with my amazon prime account and so um he's allowed to do that and i also like the idea that um if you were to put me in a spaceship especially jeff bezos's oddly shaped spaceship let's let's not pretend that that didn't look like something um, I saw I saw a few memes. Yeah, I did too. Um, put me in that thing. I've been like, no, I'm not the first one going up. He he legit did it. He was like, you know what, this thing could blow up. I'm gonna do it anyway. And half America right. was like, please God, blow up. Like we were all thinking that, <laughs> um, or at least half of us was, um, just because we wanted to see that shape of a ship just explode um, with Jeff Bezos in it. But um, I don't I don't know, man. I I get, and that's kind of where I'm caught when it comes to like global international concepts um i get caught in this weird like i like the idea i i love america like i love the idea where i live um i don't think so bad about it i definitely know it has its flaws but i mean america is a combination of people combined and everyone i know personally like individually has flaws and so there's certain flaws that i i don't appreciate in certain people that are individuals and there's certain ones that i do appreciate you know like i'm glad not everyone's perfect because i would i would be the odd man out and so I like the idea of America having its ability to be something greater than its flaws. And so I enjoy that. I don't like the idea that there's poverty disparity in America. I don't know how to solve that. Um, right. Other than my own entire theory of being like incentivize people to spend money inside their communities. Um, annex the idea of, I mean, you can't get rid of Walmart because I shop at Walmart because they're, it's cheap, dude. Like I don't want to, yeah. like it's cheap. Um, but I'm not keeping money in my own community, and I know that morally. But if you could teach that to more people, every time you could spend more t- 
spend more money inside your community, you will build it up. Um, your, your even something small like your your housing will go up if your community flourishes, and that comes from spending money. And it's all connected. Like I, I hate to sound like Jeff Goldblum in like Jurassic Park, but it really is all connected. It will find a way if you do it properly. Um, and I think I think on a larger scale where you come in, where you're talking about globally, um, if America would invest in the Earth, um, it would. I mean, I'm not going to global like climate change or anything like that but just like foreign relations um high tide does raise all ships if you think about it even in a global aspect the better the sudan does the better america does the better afghanistan does the better america does the i almost said china i don't know i don't know about china that that's a little bit of a weird one uh, i feel like they're um they're on an island um i might be wrong on that one um, it's but, it, it's its own thing. I mean, look, I, yeah. I think that the way that I've been sort of under, uh, you know, learned about all of these things um, in my you know personal research, but also like seminars and just interacting with folks. Yeah. I, I mean, foreign aid is is making an investment in our own national security. Yes, exactly. Because we're That's helping yeah. other countries building through building alliances, right? Yes. Like if you don't invest in soft power i.e. diplomacy, yeah. you risk spending even more on, hard power. on getting involved yeah. in these, you know, endless wars, right? Like you must yeah. spend money to make money. That's a principle that people say all the time, right? You've got to spend oh, money to make money. Easily, yes. Um, and, and I think that, you know, when it comes down to foreign aid, there's two main areas, which is infrastructure, yeah. but also like political stability. So, like, you know, you talked about leadership in these developing countries earlier. I mean, if, if the United States is spending money, um, you know, to a place like Venezuela and we're spending money not through the government, but through international NGOs, yeah. you know, these types of organizations that exist on a humanitarian level, uh, you know, through infrastructure, but also like ensuring that they can function and operate autonomously without this constant international oversight. Yeah. That's the point of diplomacy, right? Yeah. An investment in diplomacy makes friends and prevents conflicts. Yes, period. I agree. And yeah. that's something that I think that that a lot of people don't understand. Um, they just see that their tax dollars are being thrown out the window and they're like, but I'm but how is this going to benefit my community? Because at the end of the day, they just want to be able to go to their favorite, you know, diner down the street have a cup of coffee on a weekend and sit down and, and shoot the shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, the world, like, like we mentioned earlier, it's a big place. It's a complicated place um, to look at things, big picture, high level, you know, oftentimes it's, it's kind of difficult to reconcile and, and, and put that into perspective in your own life. But yeah. that's why we're having this conversation because I think that, you know, it's so important to, to bring these things and, and, and surface these conversations because they're not had often outside of Washington DC and Capitol Hill, right? Like, you know, yeah, if you're living sure. with your family and, and, in the Midwest, you're not having, you know, in-depth, complicated, convoluted discussions about like diplomatic uh, sort of investment in <laughs> sub-Saharan yeah. Africa. You just want, you just want to make sure that you go to work and you wake up every day and provide for your family. Which is certainly, a, you know, it, it matters. It matters a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all entwined. And I think I think you made a good point of being like, um, sometimes it, it, it 
it definitely pays off even like the modern like midwestern family um you know i'm paying taxes and i don't know where these go it's actually going to the idea that it's going to diplomacy which is going to keep your sons and daughters out of going across seas and fighting a war that you don't have to fight and so sometimes it's i know it's it's obscure the idea but um when you when you play that card when you when you put money up front to help diplomacy enact in in a like a society a global society um you are definitely causing a better future for you know well we don't see it with our infrastructure you know my roads aren't paved you know i got potholes um but your kids aren't going to war like that's important and i know it you don't see that because it's so far into the future but global um global economics and global like relations is um, something that has to happen and has to continue to happen um, so you can complain about your potholes. Um, I think that's what I got right. out of this conversation. I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I definitely think money is spent uselessly like everywhere. I think we could really um, kind of tighten these faucets a little bit. Um, but one of the things I do I do like about America is their um, the amount they put into global democracy. Um Mm-hmm. I'd much rather have conversations than drop bombs, always, by always. And I know that that's not always going to work. Like I know having conversations doesn't always do the thing, that, doesn't always keep people from having to go to war. And sometimes, oh God, I sound like conservative again. Sometimes dropping bombs d- keeps you from having to send your kids. And so, um, God, that sounds awful. I'm gonna have to. I'm not gonna sleep tonight. I'm gonna be thinking look, about this look, conversation I, I, I for think, a long time, dude. You ruined me. You ruined me, dude. Americans, I mean, point blank, Americans have built the most successful, innovative, charitable, most upwardly mobile society in human history. Yes. Right. And that happens through immigration. That happens through opportunity. That happens through progress being a possibility. And freedom. And And the freedom freedom to do so. Yeah. Right. And people look at America as a place that they can go and sort of you know, achieve the American dream. Um, does that mean that we have a perfect country? Absolutely oh, God, not. No. You know, God, no. we have no. we have civil rights issues. We have a fight against equality and, and equity and inclusion. But I think that again, I'm inherently an optimistic person. Really? Um, okay. So good, I try a hundred percent. Even though every single day I turn on the you know the TV and I watch Al Jazeera and I see that there's you know, uh, mass demonst- massive demonstrations in yeah. Cuba and the president yeah. of Haiti was assassinated. And, you know, this whole situation in Tunisia with the president assuming, uh, you know, total power, I'm like, yeah. wow, the world is a complicated place. But at For the sure. same time, the only way that we can exist and, and, and function in a positive way in the world, like I said earlier, is we have to understand it. Yeah. And sure. to understand yeah. the world is, is the most important thing um so you know just every single day you know learning more reading more listening to people right like that's that's something that's so important is a lot of times we think that you know we know everything because we watch some sort of you know documentary or the unexplained series on netflix or we watch scott pelly on 60 minutes and we're like wow i know so much about artificial intelligence (laughs) yeah but at the same time listening yeah is such an important skill dude because I love that. the more yeah. you listen the more you listen the more you learn dude. and that's just you know that's what that's what i take from from this conversation dude so. i love that yeah exactly that's i've i've done a lot for for me being 
God, like 14 years older than yeah, dude. I've definitely listened a ton. Um, yeah, man, you are. I, I don't mean this as an insult. Please don't take this. Um, but for a 22 year old compared to me when I was 22, um, very insightful. Um, a lot of wisdom there. Um, I appreciate and it. I look forward to voting for you for president in 2048. <laughs> and so love to see Dylan Marshall um, on that candidacy. If you want to go a Marshall Lily, um, we can do that. I might be I might be Biden's age at that point in time. Um, I'll be a good vice president. I might stumble the same way he does. Um, and that's fair because we're, we're all OK with that now. Um, course we can have a conversation yeah yeah exactly um i'm just i'm just there i'm just i, I would be the biden to your obama um i'm just kind of there, there go. yeah that that yeah. sounds good dude um dude i absolutely love this guy i don't i rarely get to talk politics because i mostly interview artists and musicians and see how they tick and so i've enjoyed this conversation hopefully hope hopefully you did too and i didn't just bore you with my weird um i haven't talked to anybody in like a week about politics let me blow out some rants um you kind of get that out but you are uh you are a great conversation um to have about this stuff so will you tell everyone listening about how to follow you and and kind of join on that and yeah absolutely i mean i mean dylan marshall um you know on 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 facebook you can i mean i use instagram primarily so underscore d m a r s h a one um Underscore D M A R S H one. Sorry, I put the A. That's right. Um, yeah, you know, follow me on Twitter. Um, and uh, you know, honestly, I'm just uh, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to get more uh, sort of outreach here in the DMV DC area, but yeah. also New York based, DC based. So if you're ever in the DMV or New York, hit me up. Um, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation, grab a drink, and uh, you know, have you know, talk about talk about international relations. Very cool. Um, it's definitely dude. passion of mine. Travel, all of it. Man, if you um if you enjoyed chatting this, I might have you on um somewhat frequently. It being my international guy, um, to talk about 100%. stuff. Because we didn't even touch Cuba, um, which I have some thoughts. Uh not intelligent ones, just thoughts. Um <laughs> and we could have <laughs> talked about that for a while. But I might have you on multiple you cool with that? You'd be in like a recurring guest and uh we can we can chat about global affairs. And absolutely. Uh, Cool, cool, dude. Hey, I, hey, as I was, I was going to say in Spanish, "Al gusto es mío, por supuesto." Of course, I, w- I would be happy to be the international guest. You know what? I come from San Antonio, and a lot of my listeners speak Spanish, so um, they're gonna they're gonna like that one. Um, I could There's not something do there. That. Yeah, you know, <laughs> all my Spanish comes from uh, me working construction, and so I'm like, "Yo tengo uh, clavo en mi sabata," and it's like, "Oh, that's not good Spanish." Um, <laughs> You know, how many people need to know I have a nail in my shoe? Uh, so anyway, dude, I enjoyed talking to you so much. That was the worst, me trying to speak Spanish. I actually can speak Spanish. I just don't do it often enough because I live in New York. Um, I believe you. Yeah, you should. Uh, I think I've proved myself. Dude, love talking to you so much. And uh, definitely looking forward to doing it again. And you have a phenomenal night. Thank you so much. Dude. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Good night. Bye. Hey, everybody, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Pardon Will Podcast. If you uh, want to find us on the socials, on Instagram, it's Pardon Will Podcast, and on Twitter, it's Pardon Will Pod. Um, and if you want to find me on my personal, um, my Instagram is Pardon Will Art, um, and that's the same for my Twitter, it's Pardon Will Art. Um, if you are interested in, in uh, checking out my artwork, maybe to purchase, you can go to Etsy.com slash shop slash Pardon Will. 
Um, and if you want to sign up uh, a part of the Patreon and uh, get all kinds of extra content, like extra podcast episodes, extra um, stuff that I'm doing, and uh, just free uh, art that I give away on that Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash pardonwill. And if that's too much information and you were just like, you know what, just give me something simple so I can find you, uh, you can also go to pardonwill.com and everything's uh, there. I need to get on updating it, but for the most part, Everything that I do is at pardonwill.com. But anyway, thank you for listening, and uh, I'll see you back here next time.